1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben Hong, and today on our panel, we have Tessa. Hello. Ari Clark. Hello. And Chris Fritz. Hello. And our special guest for today's episode is Amir Rostam-Zadeh. Amir, would you like to introduce yourself? How's it going, everyone? As you said, my name is Amir, and I am an engineer on
2: the Cypress team. I am the head of developer experience engineering there, and yeah. That's that's me. That's what most people know me for currently.
1: And for those who are listening, you, you can't see, but he's actually wearing his Cypress shirt, so I'm totally representing <laughs> the company brand right now. I had um,
3: a hoodie but, with his name on it. Very
1: cool. Yeah, that's that's from a that's actually from an Angular
2: conference. So it's
3: <laughs> <That's> a bad <laughs> word.
0: <laughs> well, this was a short interview. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, well... Speaking of other frameworks, so I guess you know Amir. As when it comes to front-end frameworks, what was your first one, and how like how did you come to join the Vue community? Yeah, sure. Well, I think the first you know I would
2: say modern framework that I really tried was actually Angular, but it was Angular one way back. So it was I think Vue was kind of like an inkling. It was kind of it was just like it was some work. So there, there was a little activity out there. But that's the first one I tried. And, and I tried it and I dropped it because I, I just I couldn't really adopt it at the time for whatever reason. And I just kind of kept going on with jQuery. And, but I finally was working on a project that was fairly complicated on the client side. And I just had to manage way too much state. It was just, it was just really dynamic. And, and every day I would write like jQuery spaghetti. And then next day I would come back and I would have no idea how it all worked. At that point, I was kind of like fed up. I was like, all right, everybody seems to be using these other things. Let me just go dive in. And I don't even think Vue was like 1.0 yet at the time. And so I I looked at Angular again, whatever version was out at that time. And then I looked at React. There was some activity there. The docs for React, I remember, were pretty like bare. There's not a whole lot going there. But then I found the a view docs. And then I like kind of read it pretty quickly. And after I was done, I, you know, I, I kind of had this like holistic mental model and the API was really succinct and I could kind of have it all in my head at once. I didn't have to like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I have to constantly go and like do a bunch of research every time I want to do something. It all kind of just made sense at once. Maybe just my brain worked with, you know, whatever the design was at the time. And that was just like, I had like an aha moment. And really the the first framework that I did something really heavy client side was Vue itself. So at that point, I kind of just did everything with Vue moving forward. And I, I wish I was less busy at the time to kind of get even more involved. But I remember those early days, there was like, I think everybody now that's like part of the core team were just like random people on the forums that were going on at the time. But yeah, it was, uh, that was kind of, that was kind of, uh, so Vue was really the first framework that I really did something serious with.
3: Nice. So you mentioned also in your intro that you are heading up developer experience. Can you talk a bit more about what that is?
2: Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. So by the way, full disclosure, Ben's also on the team now. So thanks. Yeah. Good to have Ben on. Uh, so the DX team is a new team at Cypress and we're we're focused on, I would say, you could say the ecosystem of Cypress. I mean, the, the goal that I kind of, you know, communicate with the rest of the team is that our job is to really make people productive and effective with Cypress. You know, there is the raw tool itself and that's great, but it turns out that, you know, for everyone to really access the full value of the tool, you really need to do a bunch of things so that everyone can learn it well, they can utilize it well, they can implement it properly into their particular projects, infrastructures, organizations. There's also a bunch of things that the core tool doesn't have. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of plugins out for Cypress. So we kind of go out and see what the main pain points are for developers when it comes to testing. And we come back to the DX team and we figure out how to kind of like holistically fix that problem for everyone. So that not everyone has to reinvent the wheel every time they have to, you know, they, they reach that same problem point. So that's kind of, you know, the DX team in the in in gist. But it's kind of one of those very interdisciplinary teams at, at Cypress.
3: Very cool. So when you're going around trying to solve those problems, do you find that a lot of teams have very different ways of looking at Cypress usage or end-to-end testing? And if so, like, how do you resolve that or try to work on this kind of experience that works for everyone if it means something different to everyone?
2: Yeah. I mean, our approach at Cypress is really to try to you know, provide solutions that are very pragmatic. So they work for about you know, the 80-90% of people. Um, you're always going to have that extra, like you know, outlier type project where they just can't do something for for myriad of reasons. So the one thing with testing in general is that people kind of are now seeking opinions on on things because testing itself is kind of a little bit of philosophical, and there's so many strategies you can take based on what your project is, what your deadlines are, how many resources do you have, you know, how people are on the team. It's just it's just so it. It, it permeates the entire organization, and a lot of the times, I actually see that organizational problems will impact people's testing strategies, which is which is not a good place to be. <laughs> so, you know, we we kind of just go and look out, okay, if we're going to solve you know a certain problem or or provide people a certain test testing methodology, like how can we go about doing it in a way that solves you know for most people for most projects? And right now, like we're really focused on modern apps. I mean, you can use Cypress on any you know. Anything that in a browser, technically, but you know that a lot of people that use Cypress right now are people that you know are are kind of writing, you know, what we call what we call modern apps, you know, U apps, let's say, right. So
1: that's that's it's kind of our approach. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious when it comes to end-to-end testing. You know, what does that mean to everyone? Because I think you know, there's a, like to Amir's point, there's a lot of different philosophies and different organizations. So I mean, let's. Uh, I mean, so Chris, when you think of
0: end-to-end testing, what do you think of? Well. Traditionally, I've thought of end-to-end testing as like, oh, okay, so it it like breaks all the time, and usually when it breaks, there's nothing actually wrong, and you just (laughs) kind of ignore it. And the tests are also really slow. (laughs) That's what I, that's what I've typically thought of when I think of end-to-end tests. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's, it's testing the application from like the user's perspective, you know. So like, actually, just like interacting with the page like a user would, ideally, like filling out a form. Clicking on a button, expecting an error message to be there, that kind of thing. So like, like Amir was saying, like ideally not having, not no, having to know anything about the code, which means like you don't have to change the way that you write the code in order for the test to work.
2: Yeah, it's it's not really, yeah, like implementation details should, should should not matter. So you can technically, like the ultimate test is like you write one app in one framework and then you can rewrite that app in the same in a different framework and the test will still pass because it just doesn't care for, for uh, implementation detail. But, but with that said, that's kind of like a dream, but it, it, it always varies, you know, in the real world, it's a little different. And also when it comes to end-to-end testing, as Chris mentioned, it's like, yeah, you are testing from the user's perspective because like that's, you technically are just trying to simulate real user actions so you can maximize confidence but as you're kind of composing larger and larger test suites there are some shortcuts you can take to to still have the same level of confidence but at the same time you know minimize test test run duration and things like that because if you do have to do everything over and over and over again exactly like the user then like you're kind of actually like you know kind of you know over optimizing let's say you know you're you're probably doing more than you
0: need to so yeah yeah a really common example that i use is you know you want to make sure that like logging in works and usually logging in by like filling out username password submitting that like waiting for it and then maybe like redirects you somewhere but there are a lot of features in your app probably that require the user to be logged in and you don't want to like go to the login page and fill out the form every time you know exactly. so if you if you can actually like just dispatch like a redux action to, to log in with a specific user, yeah, then, that, then that's a lot faster. That's, that's a great example. And that's like the canonical example for, for, for
2: doing you know, this, these types of shortcuts. And so you mentioned login, but you can think about it for anything that you, your app does internally, right? You yeah. can also think about not just... Yeah, you app, only
0: need to test it once.
2: Yeah, exactly. As, now, you can only do this if you, as Chris said, you have that prerequisite test that that's like hey i did everything from the ui first i i know I, I got this covered then you have the privilege of kind of you know programmatically doing stuff with your app and you can do it with actions or you can potentially cuz it's all about just reaching a certain state in your app so you can like inject you know the exact state that you want into let's say vuex and then your app can just be exactly where you want it to be and there's a myriad of strategies around around doing that
1: yeah, Ari. I'm curious. I know you work on a lot of real-time app stuff. Like, so you know, I feel like that that must add like a whole new set of complications when it comes to like end-to-end testing. What are some of your thoughts on that?
4: My thought is that end-end testing is a thing I should do, but
1: don't. <laughs>
4: so <laughs> I got nothing.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you're you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's that's the one thing when it historically went into end testing. And This is like my spiel on it always is that it's not the first thing people learn it's not the last thing people learn or the second or the third or the fourth it's something that a lot of people just kind of skip and a lot of the times that do end up actually testing their apps they kind of just figure out the most minimal way to do it to just get by they don't really like make any significant investment um into like how do i holistically and strategically you know think about testing this giant commercial application people kind of just do enough to to kind of get by and and i don't blame people because you know, testing has been difficult, you know, traditionally. The tooling was kind of, you know, here and there. It wasn't like the hottest topic in programming, right? Like we much rather we focus on like the, the latest, like, you know, a version of Vue and what it can do and, you know, stuff like that. We were kind of just so focused on the cool stuff we build with, with our apps and testing always took this back seat. So, but I think now with all, you know, Cypress included, but there's also other great tools out there that are kind of, you know, kicking it up a notch. They're making the developer experience a lot better. They're a lot easier to use. They have better documentation. And just in general, with all that comes better education, better know-how. And so it's it's now a little bit more accessible to more more folks. And that's 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 kind of what I like about working on, you know, Cypress is because you kind of get to see people's faces light up a lot of the times. Like when I do workshops, they're like, Whoa, I had I just had no idea you could actually like do all this this fast and like this quick and then then they start writing tests and then they're starting catching bugs and i'm like oh see there you go (laughs) and then now they're actually like shipping faster and developing faster and i get to see this kind of at the individual developer that's just getting started all the way up to you know large corporations that are like implementing better testing processes you know i've talked to corporations that, that like you know it has a real, real economical impact on on their business when they implement proper testing. They really like they really get far. I was recently talking to this company, which shall not be named, but they're they're big, and their whole thing was like, you know, we can only ship every four weeks, maybe, maybe, and our bosses are telling us we want we want to we want try to get down to two weeks, maybe, hopefully, because their competitors are just running circles around them and The major hurdle here is they just don't have proper end-to-end testing or just proper testing processes in place. And I see this over and over and over again um, across the industry. So it's something that really, it goes beyond just like the programming part. It really kind of affects every part of the organization.
3: What does end-to-end testing mean to you, Ben? Since you've been asking everyone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Ben, what does it mean to you? yeah it's funny because I think you know with a lot of traditional programming like instruction, we talk a lot about unit testing. I think that's like the like when everyone seems to start with you know, like, oh, you got to make sure you have unit tests. but it you know we've talked a lot about this, but it's funny because you know our code really only is valuable to like its use to users and its impact to what happens when users are interacting with an application, and ultimately, for most companies, that's your bottom line too, like when it comes to money and those things. So I think it's. And turn is really, as many have echoed here, is about making sure that the users can actually interact with your app. I think that's the most important thing, right? I mean, Chris, you have... What are the two tests you like to say? You said you, you make sure for every test suite that every company... Oh, yeah. Tests. I feel like
0: there are, <laughs> or there, there are two things that you need to test in your application if you're going to test anything. It's, can users log in? And can they give you money? Yes, yes, exactly. If, <laughs> if they can't do those two things, like you, you, don't, you don't really have a business, never mind an app. It's just, it doesn't matter what else works they don't need to log out like you'll get angry emails if they can't log out, but like you you at least still have customers
2: that, Chris's tests are probably just like one file and then two it statements one is can't, can they log in the second one is, can they pay me? well
0: the, those are those are the two that like I'll insist on having or else I won't be able to sleep <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think that's a lot of it, right? It's like we it's so funny that as programmers sometimes we get so caught in like the, oh, did our did our function test cover every single bug scenario? But like, you know, when it comes to bugs, we, you know, we we as developers talk a lot about, oh, we want to write bug free code, but the it's okay. Like bugs have different levels of acceptance. And, you know, it's like the end 10 ones are the ones that really end up mattering because they impact your users. It's okay if your function like, you know, if it misses a couple of things, like those can be dealt with. But yeah, so end-to-end testing is about to me capturing that, really, that user...
2: And and to add on to what Chris said is like, you know, end-to-end tests kind of capture the critical things that need to happen. And I mean, you could write as many unit tests as you like, and they're helpful when you're especially trying to validate specific pieces of logic. But, you know, you could have a lot of unit tests, but if you don't even have a single end-to-end test, like really can't ship with confidence there. So, I mean, if you're thinking about adding end-to-end tests to your project, don't feel like you need to take on this whole task of like, you know, how do I end-to-end test every little corner of my app? You can simply start with what Chris was saying, which is like, can my user log in? Can they complete the primary action of my app? Can they kind of just get through the happy paths, right? The critical paths. And then, you know, that's a good starting point.
0: Yeah, whatever causes you anxiety. (laughs)
2: Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: So, yeah, end-to-end tests, I feel like, are the only tests that actually like tell you if your application works. Like Amir was saying, like a unit test, you could have 100% test coverage on your entire application. Every line is tested, everything works, but maybe the application itself still doesn't work together. You know, all these individual modules like work exactly how they're supposed to, supposedly. But the interface between those modules and like what they add up to isn't actually what you want. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I'm okay. curious from Ari and Tessa's perspective, just from like, because I feel like when I was learning about testing, it seemed like you had to do unit tests first and then end-to-end tests. I don't know if like when you all were going through like the bootcamps and like your own journeys, like how did, how was end-to-end testing approach for you all?
4: Honestly, it wasn't really discussed much. Really, the only things that were discussed were unit and integration, which I guess you could technically consider end-to-end testing integration testing, but mostly the focus was unit testing. And so, yeah, it it fell on me when I actually got a real job to figure out, you know, what end-to-end testing was, what the tools available were. But if I'm being honest, so at that point, we were using Polymer and the only tooling that would work with Polymer was all Selenium-based and my boss refused to let us use anything Selenium-based. So he was like, don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can second that one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I feel like my experience with testing and end to end testing in particular is a bit eclectic. Like Ben, you were talking about how there's a lot of focus on unit testing. And then I feel like with unit testing, there's always this question of like, what's behavior driven testing versus like, oh, shoot, whatever TDD is, BDD versus TDD, right? And then like with EDE, I always get it confused with integration testing. So I'm not sure if it's like a similar distinction there where maybe integration is more from the perspective of the developer and E to E is more from the perspective of the user or something. Like my first team, it was just integration testing in Python, Selenium. And then my second team, they were using Just because I think Test Utils wasn't like the official testing framework yet. And they were considering adopting uh, Cypress, but the the integration engineer was worried about something to do with like selecting things programmatically using javascript and that not being like the one to one with user actions which i think was like addressed beyond that the only thing i really know about e2e is yeah bakhtov from cypress gave a talk in new york about how most people think of like a testing triangle with i think it was like e2e was at the top so it was like the smallest portion and then the base was unit tests i think so like the idea was most people put an emphasis on having the most coverage with unit tests, but he was proposing a flip triangle where the majority of your tests are in e to e or integration. Maybe that's completely backwards and it was actually the opposite where he was saying the fewest tests should be <laughs> e think i think I'm, I'm remembering it. No, uh, you're, right. You're, right. I've seen, you're right. I've seen that, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Correctly. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the yeah. thing we've been advocating for at Cypress is like you can flip the pyramid and you don't need to write a lot of unit tests and you can just, you know, write only the parts that you feel like you need to, like if you have some part that's kind of like a mathematical kind of more algorithmic part that you can kind of uh, validate in isolation before it kind of gets in added to the project. Like, you know, we, we do that at Cypress. We've done that for like our own backend type tests. But yeah, I mean, like with easier access to and the ability to write end-to-end tests for the browser specifically, you can kind of flip that um, pyramid and you can, you know, minimize unit tests and specific, and also a little bit of integration tests and just focus on large end-to-end tests. And the thing is, but here's the thing. I mean, you were talking about TDD and things like that. As you're developing your application, you, you will probably... Depends on how you write it. Like, depends on how well-scoped the application is, what the skill level of your team is, how well the project is managed, and so on and so forth. But as you're developing your app, you're, you will probably have kind of unit-style tests. You will probably have component-level tests. You will have integration-level tests. And these are what we kind of like to call scaffold tests or, you know, tests that are a byproduct of the development process. But as you're kind of finalizing the app and the project, you will eventually be refactoring a lot of these tests and you will take down the scaffold and you will remove them. And then you'll kind of end with these really high value, high coverage end-to-end tests that that will kind of, you know, get rid of the need for all those other tests that you were writing as you were developing your app. Because a lot of times, you know, development is messy, and I kind of dive into this in my talk at View Toronto, which is like, you know, as a developer, I like to kind of just, you know, I don't know how things are going to look like sometimes. I I like to, you know, you know, mingle, experiment a little bit. Maybe I'm using a new library, a new component, a new whole system, maybe a new API. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to look like. So I'm going to be experimenting, and I might write some tests as I'm going along, but that doesn't mean those tests are going to be the things that run in CI over and over again for the future to come. They were just kind of a thing that was helping me, assisting me along the way to reach the final stage. So one of the things I've been advocating for recently is to not just think of testing as like this, you know, button thing where that then, you know, that validates the final thing. No, it's literally another thing that you can use to develop the app. Like we have Dev DevTools. We pop that open. We look at, to see how everything's interacting with each other, check the state, check the routing, all that good stuff. We do that. You know, we have other tools that do other things. We check. You know, we got normal dev tools. We use it for debugging. Well, testing is another thing that does exactly that. It's just that you have to write some code so that it can help you with what like view to, view dev tools. Well, you write some view components, and then you get access to that wonderful tool. Same thing with tools like Cypress. You write some test code, then now you have access to this tool that allows you to develop your app, gives you introspection as you're testing things, and just helps you kind of. Push push along the deliverable.
3: Uh, sorry, yeah, when admit. you said it gives you in-
2: yeah,
3: go ahead. Oh, introspection. What do you mean?
2: Yeah, yeah. So in Cypress, you know, when you're when you're running your tests, Cypress, you know, has this thing called a command log, and it shows every single thing that happens in you know in your app. So every every test command that took place, it shows you network requests that occurred. It shows you users' actions, clicks, types, all sorts of things. If you did any network level stubbing or spying, it will kind of visualize that there. And then so we'll show you everything. And then you can actually click into those, those details and it will actually dump more information into your DevTools console so you can kind of introspect more. So a lot of the time, especially when it comes to network requests, if something failed, I, I don't see it in my DevTools network panel that it failed. I see it in my Cypress command log. And then I can just click on that failed failing network request in the command log and then I could see like exactly what went wrong, like what was the error message, things like that, and and it just helps me find things that I didn't think were happening. Like if I'm spying on a network request, like you know the other day we were looking at this app, and like why is the authentication uh, API endpoint is getting called five times when this view loads? I didn't know that until I was spying on that particular network request, and then Cypress showed it to me in the command log, and then the fact that that was conveyed to me, then I could go and kind of investigate further. So that's what I'm kind of trying to say. It's like testing is the thing that helps you develop. You don't know you don't know when you're done, you know, until you get all this introspection. So, I hope that answers your question.
0: But yeah, I find myself writing a lot of Cypress tests that I, I definitely plan on throwing away while I'm prototyping, and this typically hasn't been the case in my end-to-end testing. Like end-to-end tests typically have been something that I write at the very end out of guilt. It's like, oh, yeah, now I finished the feature. I should probably have some tests <laughs> for it. <laughs> you know, while everybody else is talking about like, test-driven development and probably also not really doing it. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't even know what I want to build yet. Like, so why am I going to write a test and then I'm going to throw it away? Because it turns out the final thing that I decided to build was a different thing than what I originally had in mind. Like, that's yeah. very, very often the case, building interfaces
2: yeah i i would have to actually agree with Chris on the part where uh test driven development is this thing that gets touted, but like I'll be hard pressed to find someone that actually does it like all the
0: time and yeah there are sometimes I, I do it like with <laughs> with regex like when I have like regex for an email or something like that you know like that's easy to do in test driven development there's like i I know what it should match and what it shouldn't match. emails aren't going to change
2: <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, one thing I should say is, uh, to clarify here, when I'm saying, like, you can use testing as a thing that helps you develop the app. I'm actually not referring to test-driven development because I think that's kind of an overloaded term now. I mean, it means certain things in certain circles. And, you know, like, like I personally wouldn't go ahead and write a test for every little thing I'm building while I'm building it. But there are... Well, but end-to-end tests are especially helpful. Like, like for example, I used to do, like, a you know, a lot of mobile web development. and every time i made a change i would like bring out the iphone and like click through go through the whole ui all that stuff and i would have to do this over and over and over and over again and it wasn't like maybe if i just had an end to end test that would just kind of repeat what i was doing just to kind of get that confidence that i was done with this particular component on this particular view then i would be pretty happy but it but i wouldn't categorize that as like oh, I wrote a set of discrete tests that fully validate all the functionality of this particular view. It's like, no, you know, it's like we all got things to do. Yeah. So I hope that clarifies what I was getting at.
4: Okay. So we, we've we talked a lot about how in some scenarios end-to-end testing might be a better option than excessive unit testing, or I'm sorry, intensive unit testing. Excessive, that automatically makes it bad. But so why, I feel like I don't hear a lot about people actually spending the time and investing in end-to-end testing. I'm wondering, what are some of the barriers to entry that people find that is making it so they're not doing this? Yeah. And how can you address those
2: issues? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think some of the problems are really with infrastructure. Like, I mean, look, if you have if you have your own app, you're kind of hacking on something for fun, like it's really easy to do. But if you're trying to do it on like a, you know, a big commercial project, then you got out the things to answer. So like how are you going to provision your testing environment and your CI build pipeline? That's difficult. But do you have to deal with the legacy application? is a do you have a microservices setup that you have to provision maybe thirty different services before you can even do anything? How do you seed your database properly? Is your database slow? Is it fast? How much data do you need to seed there's There's so much stuff you have to consider. To properly set up the outside world for your tests, and so unit tests, you're kind of huddled down into your little corner, and you can just, you know, mock everything out if you if you like. But end-to-end tests, it's in the name. You gotta, you're going from one end to the other end, so you gotta touch everything and and all the layers that apply. So that's really one of the big challenges I see out there is is people trying to figure out how they can provision a testing infrastructure and environment so they can actually do the test they want to to write. Some people have to deal with really expensive API endpoints. So it's like, how do you reconcile that? Well, maybe you can mock that endpoint. Well, if I mock it, is it really end-to-end testing? No, it's not. But hey, the world is a a messy place. So maybe that API endpoint could could be mocked, but maybe not everything else has to be mocked. So it varies from project to project. But again, the, the biggest problem I've seen is really just Infrastructure provisioning.
3: So I can't speak for the rest of y'all, but on my team, we like to just get everything right the first time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm very new to this team, but my impression is that we don't really <laughs> write that many tests yet. Like we're in a state where there were some like preliminary unit tests for each component. And then what we mainly do is once something is fixed or built, we just have people f- walk through like a test plan and manually test the app. So if you're speaking to a team that has that kind of setup, like typically, where would you have them start? And or like, how would you convince them to adopt like a different testing practice?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I would probably have a distinct approach for, for the given team, right? But, you know, but if you're saying like, okay, if you've just done unit testing, then I would like to see like how much errors you have in production. Like, how are you dealing with that? If you're even looking at that, hopefully you at least have some error reporting in place. But you know, you kind of got to look at your own product metrics. It's like, well, are, how many how many errors caused in, in production in any given day? How are you able to handle you know large swaths of traffic? How does your system kind of do there? Also, what is your how, what is the the speed of your product delivery pipeline? Are, are you able to ship every single day with confidence? Like at, down to the developer level, like. But do you have any anxiety when you when you do, do that kind of thing? So I, I think, think it, they
3: can pay us. So we're good there.
2: <laughs> so I, I think it's really about speed. And especially as the project gets more complicated, maybe projects are some people I work on, maybe they're pretty simple, but as they grow, you you will you will pay in the future if you have if you're already not. I was mentioning that company earlier. This is a company that has like a very mature product, but they've just never really took time to invest into the proper testing pipeline. And now it's really, you know, minimizing their ability to to scale and compete. So I would say, you know, I, I mean, this is something that, you know, what I've seen in the real world is that developers want to do better. They want to be kind of writing some of these tests and really time is really a big issue for them, right? And also from like the, the technical leadership standpoint, their whole worry is always like, can we get this thing out in time? Can we get it done faster? So I would appeal to that, those two things to kind of, you know, advocate for, <laughs> for better testing.
0: Yeah. I've worked with a lot of teams who've who've said that, like, yeah, that they just don't have time for tests. You know, they've, they've got tight deadlines, they've got to ship, but yeah. like when, when it's you analyze you the, the time that they're spending, yeah. Chasing down bugs, yeah. uh, doing manual testing, like they, yes. they really, they don't have time to not do testing. Like yeah. that's why they're, <laughs> this is why they're always like sort of panicked <laughs> and feeling like they don't have time. Because they they don't have any confidence, and they're constantly like catching up for things that they thought like they had fixed, but turns out they didn't really fix, or things that they thought were working and aren't really working, and then chasing those down because there are emergencies now. Yes, exactly. And, and they're it's, constantly putting putting out fires.
2: It, yeah, it's like the developer might not be uh, might not be considering that time the you know the, the the site reliability people are are getting waking up due to all these errors occurring. And, you know, they'll come back later to a bunch of issues, but then they might not, you know, in their mind, not like put the two together. It's like, well, hey, we could have really had to go through this whole ordeal if we just had some original tests, which we could have caught in our testing pipeline and staging or something like that. So, you know, sometimes a developer doesn't
0: always have to deal, you know, with the his or her mistakes. <laughs> it, and it has a huge effect on morale too. Like okay. the, the teams where people always feel like things are falling apart and on fire... People leave those teams. Yep. Like you will lose your talented developers because they have, they have other options. Yes. They could go to a team where like they're, they're not panicked all the time and, and have to be on call because they don't have any confidence in their app.
2: Yeah. You know, but what was the Joel's test, 12-step test or whatever for a company? What was his, I mean, he's the guy that started Stack Overflow and Trello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know F- yeah, from his yeah. blog post yeah yeah he's got that like ten yeah. year old 12 year old blog post, and I think there's like modern versions of it, but there's like the twelve things about it's like the Joel test, so it's like if you're a developer, you're going to go work at a company. here are like the things you should probably look at. and then if you have Stack Overflow jobs, if you look up those listings, they actually have this little little check that if a company you know you know checks off on the Joel test, um, and one of the things is does does the company have proper testing uh, process in place? And I even see, you know, developers that are kind of in the job market yeah, one of the questions that gets asked in the interview towards the company is, Hey, what does your testing situation look like? Do you have any in place? And if you're a developer out there interviewing and you're talking to a company that says like, Sorry, we don't really test right now. you might be walking into, you know, maybe a difficult situation, potentially. Potentially. Probably. <laughs>
3: It can also become like a vicious cycle because then, like, if you talk to a company that does test, like maybe they want you to know how to test. But if you were trying to leave a company because they didn't test and you didn't learn how to test, then it's just like you're stuck in that it loop. It is. It
2: is. And and you hit a you hit a good mark. And that's why right now in Cyprus, especially this year in 2020, we're heavily investing into expanding testing education as a whole for the entire industry. And the
0: DX team is really focused on that this this year. So I hear you. We're working. <laughs> And actually, even people who don't use Cypress, who are using something else for end-to-end tests, I recommend the Cypress docs to them because <laughs> it explains better, like how to how to do like great end-to-end tests, like just in a generic way, yes. like better than anything else that I've seen.
2: Yeah, I mean, pe- people people kind of adopt some of the best practices we we've outlined, and our our opinions is also one of the reasons why people come to the docs for is because they really, you know, they translate into to any tool, really, sometimes.
0: So. And the docs are thorough and beautiful. And I, I say this as someone who does not as
2: work It's
0: a doc at Cypress. snob. <laughs> and, and, Cypress, <laughs> and as a doc snob. And, and Cy- Cypress has never paid me a cent, I promise. They just oh. make me very happy.
2: I, I've always told Chris, you know, that's definitely a compliment to us
0: because the view docs are also amazing. Uh, that, I, yeah, I'm not solely responsible for that, but... but-
2: so the Vue team as a whole, thank you. Because yeah. I, I probably wouldn't have uh, you know, adopted Vue in the, even in the early days if the docs weren't that great. Yes,
3: yeah, yeah. so yeah. I'm here. So what I'm hearing sold me. is <laughs> if I ever have trouble with testing, I just need to ask Ben. Ben, help me. I'll to get <laughs> <testing.
2: laughs> Exactly. You should also nope. ask
0: ask Ben if Poor you're ben. using Selenium. He's, he's now actually a pro. But I think you're <laughs> unlikely to even need even need to ask Ben, because there, there are so many the times when mm. like, so, so no yes, sometimes like people are asking me questions about like, oh, I'm stuck on how to do this with Cypress And like, they, they just assumed like, like, it's a very specific problem and it wouldn't be in the docs. But then I, I, I go and look and it's like, yeah, there's like this specific example is actually walked through step-by-step step <laughs> in the Cypress docs because it's it's a really common thing, like what you have to do. And and then I just send them that link and they're like, oh yeah, great. Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need to do. <laughs> Very clear. Awesome. Yeah. We, yeah we, th-
2: we're trying to be... Oh, sorry. But I just want to say overall, we're trying to be really prescriptive moving forward. So, so not just tell you like, oh, this is an API that you can use and here they input signatures for it. It's like, no, but here's all the things you can do with it. And here's how you can use it here and there in different contexts. And I think that's what's really valuable to
1: developers. Yeah. And there's one thought I would leave with people who are sort of thinking whenever we think of testing, we think of like these you know, terminal messages that are like yelling at us. And as front end developers, we remember like when we first got hot module reloading, like how like much <laughs> of a big deal that was. Like with, you know, if you ever check out whether it's Cypress or some other tool, like end to end testing, when it's done right, is opposed to like, it will run in a way that like, it's so easy for you, those errors surface so well that when you see them, you can see your test running, you can click into them, um, see what's happening. And it's all very visual. And it's like what we love as front-end developers to see what's going on in each individual step of our test. And so, and just being able to do that, I mean, just check out some of the stuff that different tools are using. Um, it makes such a big difference from the way we see testing, which is traditionally very terminal and just not just a great experience. And so, you know, it's just something to keep in mind.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's like the modern web, more so than ever, is, it's like to call, like, it's more dynamic and more visual than ever, right? Like, it's all about the UI. It's all about that sleek experience that people are after nowadays. And, and if you don't have all the context you need at that given point in the right format, it's difficult. It's difficult to do these types of tests. If you have to go through 10 different places to try to figure out what would happen, yeah, it, that's not a repeatable process you can do over and over again on a daily basis.
3: Uh, yeah, that is that is one thing I remember from my coding education is that like my teacher and especially one classmate seemed particularly traumatized by error messages. she would all be like, "Why is the why is it yelling at me or why is it complaining?" So that is one thing that like I tried to do like a cognitive behavioral hack where like because especially in Angular JS you would get like a big page of red messages that just took you to some like generated thing in the docs that I didn't find helpful as a beginner or like with React when your whole component would just go red. is very intimidating. So I would deliberately go out of my way to not say that the error was yelling or complaining because I was hoping that that would make it less scary. I don't know if it actually worked, but it's something I still do now. So anyway, just mind it up.
2: <laughs> no, yeah. And it's never fun uh, when you have errors yelling at you. One of the things actually we released in the recent version of Cypress, I think 4.3 or yeah, and we followed up with some more improvements 4.4 is just better error reporting. We've, we've made that significantly better, I think, now. And, and it was pretty good before because what we did was a lot of the, the error messages were human readable. And so we've kind of improved that now even more so. And we got some new, new improvements on the way as well. We really want to make it really fast from the point of an error happening and you going from that error down to your code to the exact part in your code that, that you need to go to fix that error. So that's the gap we're trying to minimize.
3: That's really awesome. Because yeah,
4: I mean, as much as I love a cannot read property, whatever, of undefined, (laughs) it's it's better when it actually tells me what the problem is.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, as we begin to wrap up this episode, does anyone have any sort of final questions for Amir about testing or any other things? All right. Well, Amir, where can people find you on the Internet of Things? (laughs) <laughs> I think the best place now is just
2: on Twitter. So my handle is uh, Rustam. So you can find me on there. My DMs are open. I'm pretty pretty open. I try my best to respond to everybody. So yeah, find me on there and
1: you know, reach out, say hi. Sounds great. And with that, let's move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first?
4: Sure, I can do that. Even though I, I went first last week and inadvertently stole your pick. So I'm not sure why you <laughs> let me do that again, but okay. All right, so I have a a TV show to pick this week, uh, Future Man, which the final season was just released on Hulu. It's silly, but it's fun. It's a good just escape from reality. It's about a guy who is kind of a loser video gamer and some rebels from the future have sent this video game back into the past to find like their messiah, (laughs) essentially. And so he ends up beating this game. And so they just appear and they think that he is a whole lot cooler than he is. And slowly that unravels. <laughs> ridiculous and fun. There's a lot of time travel. It's just, yeah, it's it's different really than I think most shows that I watch. But I still, it's, yeah, it, it's stupid and fun, which I think a lot of people need stupid and fun right now. <laughs> And I have two songs for my coding playlist by a band that I have already picked songs by them. And I still don't know if I'm pronouncing this properly. Motorot, which I guess uh, Torsten is a fan of them as well. So, hey. Yeah, so the songs that I'm picking by them are Sea Monkey and Fork Number 1. And those are my
0: picks. Great. Chris, what do you have for us this week? What's up? I got a sneeze. Okay, wait. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. My first pick, <laughs> my first pick is just like, I've said to a lot of people who, who've thought about getting into view, but like, I'm ah, not really sure they have time. Just like, give it one day, give it one day to just play around with. And if it doesn't make your life easier, like you can say that you've tried it out and you like, I will never bug you about it again. I, I have the same recommendation for Cypress. Even if you've never done end-to-end testing before, just give it one day, try it out. And I bet you in that one day even, it'll already start making your life easier. Like I do about probably a third of my development at this point, like just in the Cypress client, because it's the first, it's the first end-to-end test framework that actually makes me develop faster rather than just something I do out of guilt. Like it, it, helps, it helps me in development and it helps me have more like, confidence in my development after I ship it. Seriously, seriously, give it a try. Once again, I do not work for Cyprus. They have never paid me a cent. They just make me very happy. Now, my next pick is, I know I'm late to the game on this, but I've been really getting to Sarah Bareilles lately. She's got some good music. Yeah, a little late. Is that, yeah, is I'm that, a little bit late. I'm a little bit late. I realize that. I realize that, but she's still making music and she has some great tunes. Are you going to cover like, it's gravity? It's and so heartfelt. Yeah, like, I've been... Pucket full of sunshine. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've been, I've been listening to the, the soundtrack for A Waitress, which I didn't realize like she wrote all of that music too. And that's also beautiful. Now I want to see Waitress. I, I just really get into that lately. And then my, my final pick is a game called The Turing Test, which is a puzzle story game. The, the puzzles aren't very hard, at least compared to a lot of other puzzle games that I've suggested on the podcast. But the sto- and, and the story is not completely original but it is very fun and, and there are some twists.
3: What I love about that pick is it's impossible to tell if you're talking about like an actual game game or like if somebody gave you the Turing test to see if you're a computer or a human. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you pass?
0: <laughs> I passed. <laughs>
4: Wait, is, is, that the, is that like a first person game? Because I think I might have played it. And it is think, a first
0: person game, yeah. Okay,
4: yeah. Sort I of. You, Yes. I think it gave yes, me a it headache, is mostly. <laughs> it
0: gave you a headache.
4: It did. Yeah, for some reason, sometimes first-person games do that to me.
0: So, it's did sad. you change the field of view? If you widen the field of view, okay. I think that might be the trick.
4: Okay. Yeah. Probably.
0: I it's, get that with some like first-person the games too. The peripheral. Ugh. Yeah. 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 I get with that with that with some games too, and I just like widen the field of view like 20 degrees or something like that, and then it fixes it for me.
4: I'm gonna try that. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to call that your fourth pick. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right. Oh wait. And I'm then here. my my last Go pick ahead. finally is the Asus PA329Q 32 inch 4K monitor.
4: <laughs> uh, that was a lot.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't own one, but I've heard great things from Ben.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, troll called out. <laughs> <laughs> <that how> you... <laughs> all right, moving on. <laughs> Amir, what do you got for us this week? Sure.
2: So I, I got I got a fun one and I guess a work one. the The fun one is I know, like you know, everyone's sheltering in, and you know we're all trying to kind of stay connected with loved ones. So I started using the the Hangout app, or no, sorry, the House Party app. Sorry, I don't know if you've all seen it. I, I when it first came out, I was like, oh, this is what the kids are doing or whatever. So not for me, but it's actually pretty good. What I like about it is you can actually have a lot of people on the call. While still having really good call quality, and I, I don't know, there's just something fun about it. So, because when I try to do FaceTime with with, with family, like four people on the call, it just came to a crawling halt every single time. But the uh, the House Party app works works pretty cool. You know, hmm. it works pretty well. So, you know, give it a try. You might have fun with it, and you can actually play games with people while they're on the call. They got these things. So, you know, my parents got picked it up real quick. So, you know, it's it's, it's a it's an easy one. Get yeah, going on. And the, the work one, uh, the more serious one, is this app called Whimsical, which also has Notion integration. Just for all the Notion lovers out there. As it's like a wireframing, diagramming kind of app. It's very simple. I think it's a really good example of an app that does a few things really well. And then it just kind of sticks to that and, and, and tries to kind of go deeper into it. And I just find myself using that a lot now for, for organizing thoughts, kind of putting, putting visual things together. So, you know, if you probably use Lucid Charts, Lucid Charts is kind of like, oh, it has every single bells and whistles out there. But this is like very kind of focused and you can be productive with it pretty quickly. So yeah, the house party app, call your mom, you know,
1: do that stuff. And then whimsical, you know, do better at work pretty much. Awesome. All right, Tessa, what do you have for us this week?
3: Continuing to recommend people check out the Super Size Spectacular binge on USA. Also, my company had subscribed to like four to six weeks of this like yoga and stretches that you can do at your desk from some company called Work From Home. I'm sure there's like a bunch of videos on YouTube and stuff that you can do and those are really refreshing. So I think I would recommend that people try try that out maybe during the lunch break or a coffee break every day because it just feels really great and it wakes you up and it keeps your shoulders from getting too stiff. And then finally, I think even though it's hard to go out and meet people, maybe with some of the tools that Amir recommended, like still... Checking in with people and offering mentorship, or working with people together. Like uh, last week, I was helping a friend with his resume, and the week before, I was talking to somebody else about the job hunt. Incidentally, like the tarot cards in that class I mentioned last week, they also recommended that I get really into mentorship this year. Like it just it feels good to help other people, and I feel like you help yourself too when when you teach other people and pass knowledge on. So yeah, do that.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that more. And I guess I'm last for picks. So I have a music pick actually uh, inspired from Ari. So, you know, for those of us who miss coffee shop, you know, if in you case you're ever missing that vibe, go ahead and throw on, you know, your Zoom virtual background to coffee shop and do one of those acoustic hits or acoustic covers on those Spotify playlists. So you just get those coffee vibes going. So my right, music pick for the week. And they picked that Chris so very disrespectfully trolled me on
0: <laughs> is my brand new 32 inch 4K monitor. It's well, I a- just I just heard great things about the monitor. <laughs>
4: <laughs> also, that's huge.
1: But yeah, I just find 27 inches just not big enough. And then I didn't want two 27 inches because then you can't like center the webcam on one. So then it was like, and I had an ultra wide before, and then I had a weird ratio issue with recording. So. I'm back to 32-inch, so that's a 16-9 ratio. We'll see how it goes. But it's gorgeous. Really love the monitor. And I'll
0: definitely do more of a write-up on it in the future. But yeah, if you're looking for a new monitor, solid. Hopes. I have to say, I've never like looked at a monitor and been like, Oh, what's wrong with this? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I think I just have lower standards because it's just like every monitor that I use, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is good enough. This is fine for me.
4: Yeah, like I'm rocking mismatched monitors right now because I had to steal one from work when we started working from home. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. yeah and so I to um, get one that's like too high resolution. It's just like everything's so small. I delete it. <laughs> and then I, I might I have to like fix that. Yeah.
1: I might be a little bit of a monitor snob. You know, it might be RGB calibrated to, you know, Adobe. So, my, colors and pixels are displayed accurately. Oh
3: my goodness. Now you got to get like the spider thing and calibrate it regularly. (laughs) I will say I don't like the monitors that have like the soft touch screens, but like not being able to center a webcam on my monitor for recording has never been an issue I encountered.
4: Mm Yeah, me neither. In fact, I always like my webcam generally a little bit offset because I don't look as good straight on. So yeah. (laughs)
3: when you said it was so big i realized that's the size of my tv oh my god i I used it for
4: a monitor once and that was a lot right yeah like the first tv i bought when like i moved out on my own was a 32 inch my husband later made me get a larger tv but 32 was fine for a tv for me
1: (laughs) all right and with that that's all for this week's episode thanks everybody for listening and until next time enjoy the view
4: this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't.
3: Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.